and welcome to episode 202, all about the queer community and the Lord of the Rings fandom, being the 202nd part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. I've been experiencing the world of Tolkien for the first time, and right now I'm doing whatever I want to, including talking about queer readings of Lord of the Rings, talking about queerness in the fandom, and all of the wonderful things that come with that. Joining me today are Alicia and Grace of Queer Lodgings. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having us. I was so pleased that uh, Twitter recommended y'all's podcast for me to to follow because I was like this is great why has no one made a podcast a Tolkien podcast called Queer Lodgings yet and you guys did it so I was like the very proud of you the only good thing Twitter's (laughs) ever done right (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we were talking a little before we recorded but why don't you tell well first let's talk about your I don't know your origin stories with Tolkien and Lord of the Rings how did you both come to find this zany wacky man and his world I read the Lord of the Rings the first time when I was a freshman in high school it was right before the movies came out because I'm ancient um I had this like obsessive crush on a teacher his name was uh Mr. Van Hoyk uh and now he uh he dropped out of teaching. Was he an English teacher by any chance? Uh, he was a journalism teacher. <laughs> so adjacent. Okay, that close, counts. Close. Yeah. That counts. It's either your English teacher it's or your art words. teacher for us queer kids. So. That's fair. <laughs> um, so he doesn't teach anymore. He actually makes like artisanal bespoke knives, which is a, a strange <laughs> shift. But I annoyed this man every day after school. And eventually he was like, look... I see where you are in your life right now. And what you really need to do is you need to read this book in particular. And you need to read it right now because they're about to make a movie and it's going to ruin it. And I went home and uh, I binged Lord of the Rings in a single weekend. uh, And I've been hooked ever since. You read Lord of the Rings in a single weekend? Yeah, if you want to really be impressed, I read the entirety of A Song of Ice and Fire over a week and a half. So, (laughs) See, that has no... I've decided to not even... (laughs) touch game of thrones that's fair reading lord of the i mean granted i took over a year and a half to read lord of the rings because i was doing it for this stupid podcast but over a a weekend that's insane i'm sorry i keep it continue continue (laughs) i I disagree with him i do also like the movies a lot i don't think they ruined the book at all um however Mm. reading lord of the rings first is terrible if you're gonna go back and then read the hobbit (laughs) <laughs> because the hobbit is so simplistic and like the style is so different i really i honestly dislike the hobbit as a book <laughs> which is funny because oh, wow. most of the times i've been published it's been on the hobbit see i uh <laughs> i also read lord of the rings first and then i read the hobbit i really love the hobbit mm-hmm. because i love i love the whimsy and i love how lighthearted and, and whatever it is and it's just like a walk in the park compared to just, you know, trudging through Mordor. <laughs> uh, tra la la lolly down in the yeah. valley. <laughs> oh, it's great. There's so much. There's singing. There's uh, riddle games. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's like, it's not that serious. It's not that serious. Let's just go on a quest 
and defeat a dragon. Very different vibes between the two of them. Yes, yeah. yeah. Grace, how about you? How were you introduced to Tolkien? So I... I read like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings when I was a teenager and got into it. Like I was kind of inspired to read it because my uh, best friend was reading them in Boston and I was living in New York and it was a thing that we could like talk about um, on our epically long phone calls and stuff like that. But I was familiar with them from a very young age because uh, I grew up in a very strange town in upstate New York that's a, like a small farming and artist community with a ton of like celebrities who also have weekend homes there. Interesting. And so Romeo Muller, who wrote uh, all of those like Rankin Bass Christmas specials and everything like that, and also wrote the like the teleplay for the animated. Hobbit film and Return of the King film uh, lived in town. Uh, he was our Santa Claus, actually. Like he had written those, and so I I grew up also knowing like these these books and films and adaptation. Um, and I wasn't allowed to see the movie until after I'd read the book, but I knew of Romeo's involvement with it. Um, and so I became this huge Lord of the Rings fan. I wallpapered my room in page a day Lord of the Rings calendars. Um, I was absolutely ridiculous. I had hand colored maps of Middle Earth that I had posted on my walls and everything too. Um, and then just kind of like kept that that excitement, uh, sort of like the coals banked on it throughout college and um, like grad school and all of that. I didn't have a lot of people around who like really enjoyed Lord of the Rings or anything. They weren't really familiar with it. Um, a lot of folks hadn't even seen the movies, which shocked me because I'd seen them, you know, 200 times and whatever. And then fairly recently, while I was dealing with a, a pretty awful um, like online abuse situation, um, friends of mine who were part of the Mythopoeic Society invited me to come and check that out. Uh, it's a like the oldest Tolkien society in America. And um, through that, I ended up getting involved with the Mythopoeic Society and am now a steward. Uh, as is Alicia, <laughs> we tricked so. you. <laughs> you you all roped me in in a vulnerable time with beautiful talk of Tolkien gardens and... <laughs> Just to be fair, that's what happened to me too. That's how they get you. That's how they get you. And through that is how I ended up meeting Alicia and the other folks on our Queer Lodgings podcast. Awesome. Wonderful origin stories, I think is the phrase I used. Um, and then why don't you tell us uh, how uh, or what it is you do on Queer Lodgings, the things you talk about. How did you uh, and how did you start that? How did you like, you know, come to... It takes, a, it takes a lot of energy to make a podcast. So how did you say to one another, let's do this? Yeah, it, it was interesting because it came from um, <laughs> spite. Uh, I was increasingly angry with the uh, tenor of the discourse in Tolkien fan spaces, uh, specifically on Twitter. There's a large problematic group of people that I have been discussing with a, a small group of people on a um, on a Discord server and getting progressively more and more angry about people talking about how, you know, uh, queer people don't belong in Tolkien fan spaces at all, uh, whether they're saying that directly or not. Um, and eventually I was thinking about all the Tolkien podcasts that are out there and they... Um, None of them are run by people like us. So, like, what what ended up happening is 
I'm angry. And we uh, we were at MythCon, which is the Mythopoeic Society's uh, annual summer uh, conference. And I got to talking to Grace and I was like, hey, Grace, what do you <laughs> think about let's let's maybe do a podcast. And um, I also ended up approaching Leah because Leah was part of that space where we all just grouse about how terrible people are. And we got together and really honed what our message was. And that was really a group effort. Because uh, I was like, look, I know that we are all queer people, but what is really our differentiators? And uh, Grace and Leah really helped push us in the direction that we currently are going. Yeah, one of the things that I think is neat to note about our podcast title is that it, it's very tied to a lot of history and tradition within the Tolkien space as well. Um, you are familiar with it, I'm sure, as the one of the chapters in Fellowship of the Ring, Queer Lodgings, Bayorn, which is the chapter that's this like beautiful space of rest and reprieve in a world that that has brought a lot of attacks uh, to those characters. Mm. And they have this moment to, you know, sit among the bees and enjoy honey and Gandalf blows rainbow smoke rings. And it's just absolutely lovely. Uh, this little rest and reprieve while they're like, pursuing this, this important quest and this important task. Uh, but it's also the title of one mm. of the like, sort of like seminal or like premier, uh, papers about queer studies in the Tolkien space back in, I think, 1999 is when that Queer Lodgings paper was published. So with those two pieces in mind, that's that's why we chose the name Queer Lodgings for our podcast. And my God, have we gotten so much pushback about it. <laughs> we did. That's how you know you're doing it right. <laughs> we did put the weird queer next to the word Tolkien in the internet age, and yeah, we we do see some interesting takes as a result. Yeah. Well, thank you both and the the rest of the folks that you guys do the podcast with for taking up space in this community to be authentic to discuss these things that are important to you. It is Pride Month. It is what one of my friends called it like the month of our Lord <laughs> Pride in the month of our Lord Pride. That was it. That was something. And uh, also, I think very timely because I, I think it's a human rights campaign declared that there is a national emergency state of threat for LGBT mm-hmm. plus Americans. Uh, so it's important that uh, I am someone who. I have friends who have described me as tragically heterosexual. <laughs> so I just try my best to be an ally, to listen, to amplify voices of people within my community. Uh, I have the platform to do that. Okay. And uh, we're going to celebrate this beautiful part of the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien fandom and community because there is so much value to be added. So even though there are all these really terrible people out there. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's also so easy to think that these are, this is how the majority of people are and this is what everyone is like, but I think it's those most hateful people that are often the loudest and it can be hard to remember that there are nice people <laughs> in the world and in our communities. Um, so that's uh, just really awesome that even though it started from a place of, you know, experiencing negativity 
you're able to bring positivity through it and also a little bit of spite. You know, we love that. I We're think fueled by it. That's one of the key things to being queer people in this internet age. Like we see a lot of hate and anger and vitriol online every time we turn on our computers, every time we look at our phones, uh, we see it in person. We uh, we live under oppressive laws a lot of the times and we can either, you know, let that uh, grind us down or we can turn that into fuel for our creativity and take that that frustration and spite and make beautiful things with it instead. So that's kind of what we're trying to do here. Yeah, as as Leah pointed out, we um all have Virgo kind of central in our astrological uh charts and therefore we need to tell people they're wrong in excruciating detail. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And a podcast mm-hmm. is the perfect long form content to do that in. <laughs> yes, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. And I'm going to cite my sources mm-hmm. while I do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is our vibe. Yes. Um. So let's uh, dive into that was also very also like very heavy, deep stuff that I went into. So we'll hopefully have a little more levity and lightheartedness going forward. I say that. And then uh, the first thing that I was going to ask for y'all to share if you feel comfortable is what what is it like to be a uh, a queer fan? And also, again, I am an ally, so please correct me if I'm using any terminology that y'all don't feel comfortable or if y'all feel is outdated and inappropriate. Um, but uh, as queer fans, if that's what you identify as, what is that like? Is it something that you're able to connect with others? Has it felt isolating at times? What explain that for people like me who are maybe clueless about what it's like to exist in these spaces. Yeah. And I want to start out by saying there are a handful of really lovely, progressive, like queer led, queer affirming spaces uh, in the Tolkien fandom. Um, And there are um, some wonderful Tolkien societies and and all of that. We we should shout some of those people out, like Alliance of Artem. Um, they are kind of the premier group of oh, allies and leftists, if <laughs> if I can say that in the sure. Tolkien fan spaces. Uh, there's also a number of like really like left and queer friendly Facebook groups. If you are an old and on Facebook, that's awesome. <laughs> and then the Tolkien Society and the Mythopoeic Society are both um, like formal not-for-profit uh, Tolkien societies that are really putting their thumb on the scales to try to have a lot more content and a lot more recognition of different types of diversity and progressive stances and progressive undertakings in um, in looking at Tolkien scholarship and fandom and all of that. So those are lovely things that exist. Um, but at the same time, uh, that's not the bulk of where we are as, as a Tolkien uh, fandom space at this point in time. Uh, the daily refrain that you will hear is, Tolkien was a Catholic, and so he would hate xyz about Mm. you specifically like he wouldn't like that you're queer he wouldn't have liked queer people he wouldn't want you to be here he wouldn't want people like you in middle earth that none of that is something that's okay to be in the tolkien space um 
And so there's there's rightly a lot of pushback against that. And um, I'm going to plug one of our, really our next upcoming podcast episode. Uh, we're currently doing a Queer Lodgings podcast series called Tolkien Would Hate This Podcast. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because it was in my notes to bring up. <laughs> uh, I just listened to that uh, first episode today because... I have a lot. I get a lot of the same comments with the stuff that I post and produce. Of Tolkien would hate this and all this stuff, and my response is usually, "I don't care. Hey, I'm not. I'm not Tolkien. So what does it matter?" And he has you passed know? these fifty years, and um, we keep moving on. Um, yeah. So keep standing there in allyship. That is fantastic. Uh, our next episode in that series is going to address uh, Tolkien and sexuality and what he thought about queer people. And um, we're going to dig into some of the, the queer friends that he had in his life and, and all of that. So uh, so if you ever need to be able to refute bigots on that, definitely check out that episode and our, you know, 31 pages of citations because we are who we are. And also what I loved in particular about how you guys were framing that you opened it with being like, well, Tolkien would hate probably everything anyone in the Lord of the Rings fandom is doing. He would hate probably all of us. The end. Okay, good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our podcast. Like, um, because it is so true that like he would probably disapprove of I don't of think so Tolkien would have been all doing particularly pleased with the technology of cassette tapes, let alone um, podcasts. So, <laughs> yeah. you oh know, my gosh. as we look at things th through this sort of historical lens, we have to we have to take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah, so. There's so many letters where he is, one, telling people that he can't believe that they're wasting space talking about him. Like he specifically talks to somebody who wants to write a master's thesis on him. And he's like, no, that's dumb. Why, Why? would you do that? Yeah. Uh, on top Meanwhile, of the fact... I've spent the last four years doing this podcast. Right. On top <laughs> yeah. of the fact that he just, you know, dislikes Americans in general, it seems. <laughs> it's one of the things that keep coming up, that the American fans yeah. in particular are cultish. I think um, once you... Once a country publishes an unauthorized version of your books, I think it's it's hard to turn that relationship around you know <laughs> yeah and, and we talk in there too um possibly one of the reasons that uh tolkien expressed exasperation with american fans is that um the american fans were not always uh cognizant of the time zone differences between the US and the UK. And so when they did ring up his private residence at two in the morning, uh, he was somewhat less forgiving in those letters and following mm. days. <laughs> yes, I can imagine that would be the case. Absolutely. So. Anyway, yeah, so this episode that y'all do in this series that y'all are beginning, even though it can, we can easily brush it aside and say Tolkien would hate all of us, the end, goodbye. You do still say like, well, we really don't know. We don't know what he was a very complex man. At the time he was uh, writing, I, I would say a lot of what he wrote was very revolutionary in terms of like how we like just looking at, uh, I, I did two episodes about masculinity yes. in, in these works. And like, that was very like these representations that he's writing of all of these heroes and main characters is very like not was very non-traditional at the time. So we don't we don't know what he would think in today's world if he 
had adapted through all these technological changes and ideology changes. And he's a human being. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times we for as fans, fans forget that, that he is a multifaceted human being. Maybe he was, he would be an extreme homophobe, (laughs) in which case maybe it's good he's dead. Um, Spoiler alert for that episode. Mm -mm. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Um, but again, I always like to conclude that conversation by saying, well, I'm glad Tolkien didn't live long enough to see Twitter. That's how I feel about yeah. that. I- I'm glad Tolkien didn't live long enough to uh, potentially pull a, um, a JK Rowling. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing for us to keep in mind as modern day fans, too, is whenever we look at an author or historical figure and, you know, or trying to think of what they would what they would what they would think now and trying to to implement that lens. First off, we're never going to be completely accurate. They they've passed and we can't ask them. Uh, short of a Ouija board, we're we're out of luck. Um, but we as people living in the modern age can always seek to not be reductive of what they of what they believed at the time that they were living. So, certainly any of these views that take things that Tolkien expressed um, not being judgmental about and try to impose that as a limitation on who belongs in Middle Earth, there's there's no need for that. That's, that's not doing him justice either. Yeah, a lot of people mm-hmm. have a tendency to look at specifically like queer and, uh, I mean, racial issues as well, although that's not something I'm really poised to be able to talk about as a white person. Um, but they just... As if queer people didn't exist before the 60s, as if black people didn't exist in England in the Middle Ages. Like, a lot of people really want to see the Lord of the Rings as what they consider their utopia, which is Mm -hmm. white, Christian, cishet, although they would be upset that I referred to it as cishet. That common argument that we probably all see that (laughs) Tolkien was writing a mythology of Europe and so that's why there can't be any XYZ type people. And it's like, those people were also in Europe. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah, it gets it gets draining having to like be confronted with that all the time. Um, I am the social media steward of the Mythopoeic Society. And part of what I do is I moderate all of our social media spaces to keep them as safe as possible for everyone. And I see a lot of that, that yeah. I really don't want to see (laughs) outside of the area where we all go to laugh at people being dumb i still have to like wade through all of it and moderate it and moderate it in a way that doesn't make some members of our board angry because we have a a spectrum of you know political beliefs on our board and some people think that it should be free speech all the time no matter what Um, even if that speech hurts other people. And I don't believe that. And I'm the one who moderates. So to a certain extent, I get to do what I want. (laughs) But sometimes I have to beg forgiveness. Yeah, that's difficult. Um, Those are like difficult waters to be in. I totally, which is why I like running my social media where I just have to worry about me. And I'm like, this person seems truly vile. I am blocking them unashamedly. (laughs) That's something for us all to keep in mind mind as fans in different spaces too like when we're having a good fan experience when we're able to say oh oh i haven't seen that negative thing crop up that's almost 
exclusively these days because someone is doing that moderation work. And people Mm. are making sure that those spaces remain welcoming for a broad variety of people. So sometimes the the absence of seeing some of the things that, that marginalized communities deal with all the time is because there's already been a lot of good work and support done. Yeah, it's not because it's just magically not happening anymore. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Yes. Excellent point. Thank you for, for uh, bringing that up. Um, so as uh, as queer fans and as, you know, you've been doing more uh, series and episodes of your podcast, are there any particular themes or characters, moments, you know, those types of things that stand out? If there's something that's maybe like queer coded that uh, that someone like me wouldn't pick up on um, something that like stands out that maybe you identify with or that you find empowering or inspiring. I think one of my favorite examples of that where, you know, some people might overlook it or it might mean something different to folks from different backgrounds is um, is actually something that came in the uh, filming of the Lord of the Rings movies and uh, something that Sir Ian McKellen said and made sure was included in uh, in Peter Jackson's films, there's a moment after uh, Mount Doom when Frodo is going to survive and, and they're recovering that, uh, you know, Sam is there and they clasp hands. And it's this moment of joy and, and finding each other again and all that. And Sir Ian McKellen, the, I believe it took, was took Sean Astin aside and reminded him that that was a very significant moment for a number of different types of fans, not least queer fans, who were going to be looking for that connection, that it was going to be incredibly meaningful, and to make sure that there were takes that included that moment. I think that's one of the things that could easily be overlooked by cishet straight directors and actors and all of that, is how those, you know, whether friendly or romantic or queer platonic uh, connections that mean so much to so many people might not resonate the same way for everyone, even though they would be meaningful to everyone. They just take on different layers of meaning in different communities. That's so beautiful. I don't think I knew that uh, that happened in the filming process. That's legitimately so wonderful and beautiful. (laughs) And also like, I mean, like, first of all, we have Sir Ian McKellen, who is Gandalf the gay. <laughs> we have, who, which, by the way, I I did not know that he was gay until, like, I think over a year into this podcast. Oh, and there wow. was some behind the scenes <laughs> footage of the of like the, the hobbits talking about, oh, yeah, well, one day Ian took us to a like a gay nightclub. Mm-hmm. And I was like wait, what? And I was like, no, this makes sense. Because I've definitely seen, you know, articles and pictures of him at Prides and his activism and stuff. And I'm like, why did I not connect those dots? Okay. Um, And then also, uh, I almost said Sam Astin, Sean Astin uh, has also like in recent years come out as like a big Frodo Sam shipper saying they should have kissed. I support it. Um, Go back and shoot that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah please they're too they're too old they're too old now i <laughs> even though i not disagree wait, Frodo is wait, technically 56 we <laughs> all have iphones now they can manifest this <laughs> because sam and frodo meet up again in the undying lands give me yeah. that 
Let's see some, you know, epilogue, prologue stuff happening in the Undying Lands. Listen, they never filmed the scouring of the Shire. There's a lot to go back and check out. (laughs) In the middle of taking down, you know, this oppressive society that Saruman has set up, they just make out real quick in the middle of it. No big deal. Just real quick. (laughs) Just, just. You know, as a Just treat. Real smooch. Um. <laughs> Sam and Frodo are kind of like baby's first ship in a way. Like a lot of people uh, do them specifically mm-hmm. as a queer ship. Um, I do want to point out that Frodo is a, a pretty interesting character because um, Frodo is read a multi- multiple ways, right? He could be read as gay. He can be read as uh, polyamorous. He can be read as on the ace spectrum somewhere, as can Bilbo himself. And I think mm-hmm. that ace representation is something that gets kind of glossed over mm-hmm. a lot when people are talking about queer readings because they're like, oh, well, they're bachelors. And the assumption there being, oh, they're straight. They just never got married. and that's, Never found the right person. Yeah, that's not necessarily what's happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think Bill Bilbo being uh, ace representation is a really like amazing headcanon and a way to view his character because he lives such a adventurous and like long and happy fulfilling life despite the fact that he is not you know partnered up with someone and so that says to people that like you don't have to be with another person romantically to live happily ever after you can find these ways of fulfilling outside of that and he builds this beautiful found family like he he names frodo as his heir he he like creates this wonderful space in bag end that is welcoming and affirming and then frodo um alicia mentions polyamory and and all of that um sam marries rosie and they both move in with frodo in bag end yeah. at the end which is um something that a lot of folks don't recall happens. It happens, you know, in sort of a note in passing, and it's not something that's usually in filmed adaptations or what have you, but it's really huge. And, and, you know, Frodo is creating this space in the same tradition as what Bilbo did. There's some excellent papers that are just beginning to be presented at different Tolkien seminars and everything in this past year uh, that are absolutely phenomenal in regards to the queer space and found family that is Bag End. I do also want to throw out that, you know, maybe Bilbo never married because his one true love died. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I that's possible. Yeah, Bag and Shield, very popular ship. (laughs) I believe that ba- I believe that Bag and Shield is the most popular uh, Tolkien ship on all of AO3 uh, by a factor of like 10. For like fully I half the I, fix are Bag and Shield. I wasn't sure how to uh, look up all of that in like a smart statistical way. I knew if I like just typed in. Yeah. So let's let's start talking about ships. We've had some like deep intense conversation yeah. now let's just have fun and talk about ships and some of these have very silly names yeah one thing i want to preface this with by though by the way though is that as we're talking about these various ships and taking these queer readings and all of that they're additive 
right? Just because you can have one headcanon doesn't mean that you can't have another one that means something different. So sure. like, I can yeah. absolutely read Frodo and Sam as beautiful, wonderful boyfriends. And, you know, with that, that dynamic with Rosie and everything, too, I can read Sam as a bisexual babe and also read Frodo as ace and also see that level of just like queer platonic partnership or where they're they're deep and abiding friends that are that's maybe the mm-hmm. way that it it would have been received in um like in earlier decades and all of that. You can hold all of those ideas simultaneously yes. and so when we can ship all of these things alongside each other no one's excluded. Yes, I I love to this is what I just get so furious about all the time with with so many arguments on the internet and stuff is that two things can be true at once you like like things can be happening like it just because like one person ships Frodo and Sam doesn't invalidate any other readings or interpretations of that that doesn't mean that you can't also I personally go back and forth all the time between shipping them and then viewing them as just friends because I think it's also so so healthy to have a a strong close affectionate male friendship that isn't romantic. I think that's like equally as important. But both of those things can be can exist in the universe. <laughs> they don't uh mean that one is not true. I think it's also really important to re- to recognize that because of what is seen as normative in our society, those deep and abiding friendships are a queering of the norm, whether there's a sexual or romantic romantic element to them. They're outside of the norm. And so as we're yeah. reading mm-hmm. and, and taking these different like fan receptions and, and readings and all of that, they're they're outside of the norm. And that's part of the point of how Tolkien was writing them. Yes. Excellently put. Uh, so we already we already talked a bit about Frodo and Sam. Uh, Alicia, you said bag and shield. I was on Tumblr from <laughs> the the years 2010 onward. So I uh, had seen the ship name Bag and Shield be thrown around a lot and being like, what is that even? And then wasn't introduced to it until obviously reading The Hobbit and reading The Hobbit. I'm like, this makes no sense. <laughs> Thorin like literally hates Bilbo. <laughs> they like barely interact. It's, it's a movie uh, ship, man. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie ship. And it's a movie ship that I still I didn't get until uh, until the scene where Thorin is dying. And then later on and then and then oh. Bilbo saying like getting choked up being like he was a fr he was a fr and like he can't even say he was my friend. He says like he was more than a friend. And uh I, I'm still very confused by it because he Thorin just seems like he I'm not a good I'm not a I'm not a big fan of Thorin, I, I should say. So oh, he, I just don't like that he's a mopey so little mean. guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bag and Shield is a huge uh, ship within the fandom that is so interesting to me that it came out from the movies, which are also <laughs> controversial within the fandom. <laughs> I Le- think Leah is a currently lot of- sending us Bag and Shield gifts on Discord right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she knows. <laughs> She can. She, it's a. It's like a spider sense, but uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> with this ship. So th- this- oh, by the way, when I was uh, go- I go- <laughs> I wanted to pull up like a list of all the ships because I'm like, there's a billion characters. There's probably stuff in here that I don't know about. So I just Google. I Google searched 
ships in Tolkien, and it just came up with a list of literal ships, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like boats. Like there's an entire wiki, like Tolkien Wikipedia entry for all the boat names. Anyway, you can read it very literally, or you can read the subtext. You know, it's all there. <laughs> uh, so, in my opinion, the scene that launched Bag and Shield is on top of the Carrick when Thorin is like, "You never should have come." This was a mistake. Oh, I'm so happy. And they hug. And there's that swell mm-hmm. of music. I think that's what launched a lot of people's ships there, <laughs> personally. I think Richard Armitage's eyes, yeah. just as an experience, yes, are was, responsible for say, a great deal him... of the popularity of, mm-hmm. of Bag and Shield. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't, like, not want to ship him with someone. And a lot of times, I think ships are, like, a self-insert kind of a thing of being like, well, I can't be with Thorin, so I'm going to ship Bilbo with him. <laughs> like, I can't be with this person, so I'm going to ship these two characters that I like together so that maybe, I like, he's fictional, but maybe in their fictional universe, they'll be happy together. Well, so many people love that hate to love dynamic too, right? <laughs> As someone who during Rings of Power season one was very pro Galadriel- Halbrand slash spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Sauron, and is still pro Caladriel Sauron. I get it. It's that that enemies to lovers thing. It's it's like crack. <laughs> it's addicting. Well, if you like that enemies to lovers sort of thing, um, there is another Sauron ship that you should be aware of. It's a little bit more um a little bit more insidious. And this is silver gifting. So Sauron. It's my favorite. <laughs> Sauron disguises himself in a number of different forms. He takes on different fair forms and fair voice, right? Uh, throughout, you know, the first and second ages. By the time we get to the third age in Lord of the Rings, he's lost that a power. He's lost that ability. He, he's been shattered too many times to take on a fair form, let alone form again really but back in the the first and second age he he can go around you know making himself look sort of however he wants and one of the guises that he takes on um is that of anatar the lord of gifts mm-hmm. who comes to the smiths of Eregion and uh offers them all this aid that he claims he's an emissary of the valar and he can help them with their knowledge and their works and um that he he sort of like has everything that they might want, right? Tolkien uses a lot of very interesting words to talk about Sauron's deception here. He talks about seduction and <laughs> beguiling and yeah. how Sauron ensnares the, the Smiths of Eregion. There's this element of, of deception, but using language that has a, a very traditionally, like, sexual or romantic element to it that mm. that belies this this other type of connection and so i mean we have him going around talking about how you, you know sauron as anatar seduces celebrimbor and the smiths of Eregion and uh, uh. seduces our Farazan in numenor and all of that and a fairly popular ship is that Anatar and Calibrimbor moment um, mm. because, you know, Sauron, like, 
it's unclear if he knows how much deception he's is he trying to deceive himself too, which is definitely something that the Rings of Power folks are teasing out with the the Gladriel moments also, like how how much Sauron is trying to deceive himself alongside everyone else. And then, spoiler alert for where Rings of Power is going, that dynamic isn't going to go well. Um, there's going to be a <laughs> yeah. sort of toxic X thing I was going say, on. Um, yeah, he does, Sauron does kidnap Celebrimbor. He makes him what into Celebrimbor. Let's find out. <laughs> There's just, you know, like a really toxic ex moment is that yeah. like Taylor Swift's got nothing on on that, you know? <laughs> but in this this long time period in the Second Age in particular, there's a lot of space for fan readings and fan interpretations that um, that look at, at what had the potential to be a really beautiful or a really dark dynamic and a lot of a lot of space to play in that sandbox. So um, that one that one is a ship that uh, is pretty pretty popular, especially among Silmarillion fans. Super, I was gonna say super interesting. I yeah have not ever heard of that ship, um, but I can see how because Sauron has like these seductive qualities you know uh i could see how that would happen within yeah the fandom similar in that like well not that time frame this would have been i don't know hundreds of years whatever time is irrelevant in this universe um one that i laughed so much but i i see it um feanor and melkor mm. and their ship name is feanope mm, yeah <laughs> which <laughs> Just made me laugh so much because I I think that's another very similar enemies to lovers thing a uh, a uh, like hate loving thing they're only attracted to each other out of spite that kind of a thing and uh, also they're like reading the Silmarillion it mentions all the time that they're both obsessed with each other mm, so mm-hmm. that one kind of makes sense to me also just Feanope just makes me laugh because it's like nope. This isn't going to work out. This isn't going to go well. <laughs> God, in a similar vein, one of my other favorite ships is Angbang, which is um, it's Melkor and Sauron in Angband. <laughs> oh, okay. I had I didn't know what their uh, ship name was, but I had that written down too. I want to be very clear that Tolkien is very clear that Melkor seduces Sauron. Yes, like this is what Tolkien mm. writes, and, and he talks about this as like the the first. Um, like the the sort of like the blueprint seduction that Sauron then follows the the pattern of in uh you know confusing people and seducing people and creating the rings and, and all of that like it it's it's a pattern a cyclical pattern that plays off uh, plays out across the ages of middle earth uh, but these are the actual words that Tolkien uses to talk about these things which is why there is a lot of like really great really well researched fanfic and headcanons and all of that for Silmarillion characters and all of that uh, it's it is absolutely phenomenal the the levels at which a lot of fans are, know the material and can look at the spaces mm-hmm. and gaps in between yo fanfic writers be out here like right penning entire great american novels but you just don't even know it because they're using already existing worlds and characters and i'm over here like trying to string two sentences together you know <laughs> like Trying to trying to remember what even happened in the Silmarillion. 
And, you know, Tolkien fanfic will, will run sort of run the gamut from uh, your more traditional type fanfics that are, you know, quick and fun and fluffy to things where, you know, the appendices at the end of the fic are almost as long as the 30,000 word fic, uh, because it is all <laughs> that well researched and documented. And that's something that's kind of special to Tolkien fandom is that just that level of um, showing love for the source material by how how much you've um, research it and how much you're connecting it to all of these mm-hmm. other pieces. Like specifically, yeah, yeah. there are Silmarillion fanfic writers who have read more of the history of Middle Earth than I have, and I do Tolkien scholarship. Yeah, <laughs> that like if you're gonna dig into a twelve volume, incredibly like reference heavy set of books to write a fic, you are going above and beyond it's dedication yeah. yeah slight correction alicia it's actually 13 volumes one entire volume of the same size is the index of the 12 volume series i mean if you're gonna okay, count it's the on the index. wall behind me <laughs> and see this is why i have people asking aren't you gonna do the history of middle earth no no, no the first two are like relatively easy to read the book of lost tales and there is good stuff in there like his um concept of Numenor as like a mechanized world and that kind of stuff it's, it's interesting his time travel stuff but I mean so much of it is just mm, just there will be like three <laughs> lines of text and then Christopher's going on a page and a half about where this was and his father's stack of papers and other things that could potentially like interact with these two lines of text talk, I mean talk rough. about dedication it's rough to get through yeah. and Christopher was a a, a gift to us yeah a gift and also maybe a curse to the fandom that we have (laughs) this much to work with (laughs) i think one of the things that's really cool for fans and you know fan writers and fan artists and everything like that is because christopher did so much work to document the conflicting versions of what Mm. J.R.R. tolkien wrote and the ways that the stories evolved and all of that it sort of sets up the ability to look at this through this entire world through different lenses and different yeah. headcanons and that there's space to to understand things in a variety of ways. And so it makes for a very rich environment for people who are reading or writing or creating in that space. Yeah, definitely. Um, another Silmarillion ship. We So we've said a lot of, ma- actually, we've said exclusively male ships because um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but <laughs> <laughs> the world of Tolkien is almost overflowing with men, um, not that many uh, women. I don't think you can even, I- I'm sure there are people that ship, you know, Eowyn and Arwen, you can't ship Arwen and Galadriel because they are related. Correct. Please do not ship them. And I guess unless that's your thing, but it's definitely not mine. <laughs> um, but like they, those characters barely interact. So there's not much to go off of. But one that I really like is Galadriel and Melian yeah. because yes. they are, they're homies. They're homies. And it's, uh, the Silmarillion mentions so many times that like, Galadriel confides in Melian or goes to her for advice or that they seek each other's counsel and uh 
I, I can see a like close relationship oh, yeah. growing out of that. Absolutely. Uh, Galadriel Melian is one of my favorite chips between the women. Um, we actually, in our podcast, one of the first uh, episodes that we did was going through uh, close readings of Galadriel and queer readings of Galadriel. Um, and I definitely want to circle back around to her because there's some trans readings of Galadriel that are really cool also. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, we can definitely. One yeah. of my favorite things about Galadriel and Melian is um, how Melian and Galadriel's dynamic was originally introduced in um, in some of Tolkien's earlier drafts. Um, he famously has a lot of different ideas about, you know, what type of elf Celeborn was and, you know, at what point Galadriel came to Middle-earth from Valinor and what things she had done along the way. But there is a passage in, uh, this is actually in History of Middle-earth, that talks about Galadriel and Melian with a couple of key phrases. One is that there was much love between them, and that Galadriel received the love of Melian. Mm. And that first line, that there was much love between them, is very, very interesting. Because in the published text, that line still appears, but it's instead applied to Galadriel's relationship with Celeborn, who she is married Mm. to. And in the original draft text, it was Melian. And so that gives us a lot of fun things to read. (laughs) Yes, yeah, that... uh... She is capable of loving two people in the same romantic way, that it's the same type of love, yeah. Yes, or that it was transferable, and, and Tolkien eventually like puts this into the published text in relation to Celeborn, but we can certainly read that type of love then back to Galadriel and Melian, which mm-hmm. is very fun. Yes. You know what else is... I don't know how to transition to this next ship, because I just have a bunch of question marks after it. Um <laughs> I'm assuming it also came from the Hobbit movies. Thranduil and Bard. Yeah, that's... Do y'all know anything about this one? That is uh, definitely a movie ship. Um, Because I don't even think they speak (laughs) to each other. I would say that most likely... Like, I'm going to take a sort of external reading on that. um, That that is... Us as fans looking at the fact that the Hobbit movies, for all the challenges that they have in some of the, <laughs> the CGI and plot elements of uh, in adaptation, um, had a lot more queer cast members. And I think that that's really like folks as fans taking a look at... Um, like screen time that is very briefly shared between queer cast members and looking for what the the ship might be there and being able to read subtext and, and all of that there and in ways that I don't know that that I would find that same support in the text if I were reading The Hobbit myself. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of expansion in those movies. And I, I think that that created space for more queer representation and more queer reading. Personally, I ship Thranduil with Celeborn because Celeborn goes off and hangs out with Thranduil in Mirkwood at the end of Lord of the Rings and doesn't sail to Valinor with his wife. So, you know, she sails with Gandalf. Gandalf. (laughs) Which, my God, (laughs) Ian McKellen 
and Kate Blanchett's chemistry in all of those movies. How can you not ship Gandalf and Galadriel? How can you not? Um, I don't think I personally do, so I guess that's how. <laughs> oh my god. If Alicia got to be queen for a day, we all would, though. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that, that one scene in The Hobbit where um, they're standing on in the little council area and the sun is rising and she's holding his hands and then like she ends up disappearing like how can oh yeah (laughs) i was very and like not to go into like the hobbit movie territory (laughs) but i was very confused by what they were doing or implying with their relationship in that in those films it was very confusing for me anyway um also I think maybe this, what did I say, Thranduil and Bard ship came out just because Lee Pace is good looking and Luke Evans is good looking. And in this movie, they're both good looking. Thranduil is another, uh, as I understand it, gay icon. So (laughs) for better or worse, maybe it's just uh, at the time of filming, they they weren't necessarily out as actors. uh, But in the days since, um, there are some of the at least four male actors from the Hobbit films who have come out as I mean, to uh, be fair, some of them came out because Ian McKellen accidentally outed some of them. Yeah, Ian McKellen tried to like he was having a lovely interview and he was talking about how basically how affirming it was that there were so many queer cast members on set. And I think he ended up like citing a number and then people tried to work back from there as to who that would be. And that uh, in particular, that ended up with um, Lee Pace having to come out when he wasn't out to his parents yet. And that certainly was not Sir Ian McKellen's purpose but yeah i'll maybe we'll we'll chalk that up to him being a older gentleman now and maybe not i think he was just excited and wasn't like thinking about because think about how queer like culture is now and how acceptable it is to be queer versus when he was coming out i'm sure he just was like oh this is fine and like this is great yeah didn't yeah but like the most recent person who came out was uh was Thorin. Yep. Yeah, it was Richard really? Armitage. Oh, yeah. He just he just pu- like publicly came out. This is all out. news to me. He so he well, good publicly came out in an interview. He talked about his partner with he him pronouns um and then was sort of the interviewer or subsequent interviewer sort of wanted oh, to drill down like on it. Recent. It was recent. Yeah. And This is April. Wow. Yeah. And his response to like oh is this you coming out or whatever was a very uh sort of delightfully British uh, statement that I came out at 19 to everyone who mattered. Mm. And like really setting up this uh, this expectation of privacy, even though being out in his personal life and everything, it wasn't something that he was out in his professional life, which is a good reminder that, you know, queer people may be out um, in different facets of their life or with different facets of their identity, right? So, you know, sometimes we're out as queer, but like are still working through maybe like what our what our gender identity is and what have you. So people Mm -hmm. may have uh, coming out journeys throughout their lives and it, it may sort of circle around a bit. So. It's yeah, for everyone it's always an an evolving thing as we grow and learn more about the world and about ourselves and how we 
and like what our place in the world is yeah. and like how we are interacting with others. It's always going to be something that's constantly evolving. Literally just yesterday, uh, I was looking at, um, uh, what is it? Uh, Magic the Gathering card of Goldberry. Oh, yeah. And she everyone's calling her Thickberry. Yes. <laughs> She's so and gorgeous. And I was like, am I attracted to a Magic the Gathering card? You are and you're valid. <laughs> Yeah. She reminds yeah, me I, so like, much of the uh, the Breath of the Wild great fairies. I cosplay one of them. Yes! She looks like Kotera, and that's who I cosplay. Server. And I'm like, shit, do I have to yes. cosplay Goldberry now? Yes. <laughs> Love it. And also just, I, I had a moment of like, her body looks like my body. Yes. This is really wonderful to see. Yes. some One of the Galadriel... One of the Galadriel cards for that set was just spoiled as well. And, you know, some of some of them have that sort of like what you would expect an elf woman to look like. Yeah. And some of them are like a little bit more body positive and a little bit more like I'm like, ooh, hello also. Oh, I love, it. love it. I literally have never I have never given Magic the Gathering one thought. <laughs> and then this Lord of the Rings set is coming out and like just the art alone is so Oh, yeah. Amazing and validating for so many different fans of so many different identities. It's really, really wonderful to see a fantasy, a part of like the fantasy genre, like claiming acceptance and openness and welcomeness. And they're aware of some of those queer readings and everything, too. There are certain Frodo and Sam cards that have there's a, a dynamic in the game called like basically like partnership they can pair up and and be stronger together or whatever and Frodo and Sam have that dynamic in some of the iterations of their cards and um my uh, my also queer husband uh will just every day at this point is bringing me beautiful queer and progressive moments from those cards as they're starting to be revealed and it's just very exciting Cool. So we're all going to start playing Magic the Gathering. Everyone come back next week. We'll (laughs) play around. Is that how it works? I don't know. And then uh, I would just be uh, remiss if I didn't at least bring up Gimli and Legolas. Gigolas. Yes, Gigolas. I don't normally go out for the the sort of portmanteau names for my my fandoms that have existed more than 10 years. But that one's a fun one. And I love them so much. Um, We love them. This is another one that I kind of equally, I love the idea of shipping them romantically, but I also so value how powerful just their platonic friendship is. Just because like it means so much in universe, Mm -hmm. just the mere idea of a friendship between an elf and a dwarf. Um, But then sometimes it's like, but how platonic is it if Legolas took Gimli with him to the Undying Lands. Yeah. Also, uh, we we actually just tweeted about this because it's something that I will never shut up about. Um, but you know how Gimli has that whole thing about the glittering caves near Helm's Deep? Yes. And all that, right? And under the White Mountains. And he he's just so so like impressed to be able to see them. And he wants to share that with Legolas. And they make this agreement that they will travel... They'll go to the glittering caves. They'll go to Fangorn. Like they will travel together as yes. companions and all of that. Um, that is where Tolkien took Edith on their honeymoon. Oh! The glittering caves are based on Cheddar Gorge, <gasps> and that is where Tolkien honeymooned. There is a oh my very God. emotionally resonant piece there that, yeah, 
even if you're you're reading that as on a friendship level or whatever, it's this like romantic it's friendship. It's still something that there's a honeymoon happening head there. Had a romantic connection. Yes. Like, wow. Yes. I did. That's fantastic. Yeah. He actually hear. and he discloses that in a letter that he wrote in 1970. Um, that that's where he had honeymooned, and it was in his mind when he was writing because he had visited there again in the 40s. Um, but yeah, that that that's a honeymoon for me. Wow. That's really great. Yeah, they it was total they totally went on a honeymoon together. Save the world, rest, recover, and then going on a honeymoon. And also Absolutely. like they didn't just show up on like on a different ship. Like they didn't, you know, like book passage with Galadriel and Gandalf and all of that. Like they stay until Aragorn passes and then Legolas builds his own boat for him and Gimli. Just just the two of them. Just because they were roommates. Oh, I love to see it. And they were roommates. <laughs> <laughs> Truly the origin of that and is, they were roommates. That is one of my my favorite, like almost like near canonical Tolkien ships where there's a lot that you yeah. can read in from there. I do want to shout out another uh elf dwarf dynamic. Actually a couple more. Um <gasps> Oh, I, I hope you're bringing up what I think you're going to bring up. I think I'm going to go there for you, yeah. Let's see. Uh, but f- before that, um, I just want to point out that Celebrimbor and Narvi build those doors of Durin, like the doors to Moria that we encounter in Lord of the Rings, speak friend and enter and all that, and beautiful hmm. symbol of friendship. But like, that's that's a pretty interesting dynamic that you can read some subtext into. And then in Rings of Power... Yes! We've got... <laughs> Elrond and Doran. And we have oh. Elrond and Doran and Disa, my beloved yes. power thruple. Um yes. I hate the word thruple, but they get to use it because they're so good. <laughs> it, it's so perfect. It it just it's so they did such a I I think for me it's also just because uh I think say what you will about Rings of Power, there were you know, everyone has their likes and dislikes about it. Mm-hmm. I think they did such a fantastic job with the dwarves and characterizing them and telling like their side of the story and Casa Doom and everything. And I feel like they really put a lot of love and attention and the actor who plays uh, Prince Durin as well. Mm-hmm. So like when you have that much care behind this character and then like his uh, chemistry with El- with the Elrond actor uh, and like so they share so many little like side eyes and smirks and they can still be so honest with each other and and I love it because like Disa is right there Disa is never yes. really like removed from that narrative either which is why I'm like the- they are my power thruple I, um, I absolutely adore them there is so much wonderful content that we see on screen and then so much storytelling space around that too like i'm just i'm in love they're they're my favorite ship from uh from all of rings of power um and probably the one that i've written the most about so (laughs) yeah oh Oh, that's amazing that's awesome yeah uh the idea of like a a thruple is something that i don't think i've ever like encountered in media enough to be like oh yeah i ship these three people together um especially (laughs) coming from especially coming from like a monogamous mind sure you know sure imagining like well how is it possible for but seeing seeing like 
the relationship between Disa and Durin, and then seeing this such strong connection between Elrond and Durin, and then seeing Elrond making an effort to connect with Disa, it all kind of like clicks together. And it's like, oh, they they work together and they truly are a, a power thruple. Yeah, they're they're phenomenal. Love to see it. I, I do want to, we've already discussed um, Frodo, Sam, and uh, Rosie as being a, a thruple. I also... Yeah have a kind of mean ship for Frodo, Sam, and Gollum as a thruple. Very problematic oh, thruple. But a thruple That's another one of those uh, toxic relationships, I think. So <laughs> That doesn't end well. Gollum and Sam going to need a lot of counseling, need a lot of couples <laughs> therapy if we're going to make that one work. <laughs> maybe, maybe they both care enough about Frodo that yeah, they're, my, my they're thought willing is to it's, make it it's work. A, it's a... It's definitely a hinge relationship, a V. Yeah. Rather than a triangle, it's just a V. Exactly. Yeah. And Frodo exactly. is the point. Hmm. Yeah, I could I could maybe uh, understand understand that that working out possibly. Again, with therapy, I think you're right. Couples therapy essential. Jumping now to the uh, you you brought up that there is a, a trans reading of Galadriel. I think that's super interesting, and I would love to hear about that because yeah. we also shouldn't forget about the T in LGBT, um, especially because the trans community is so um, is hurting so much right now. So to, very much to say the under least. fire. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So two there are two really important trans readings that I want to make sure that we touch on. Um, one for like a group of characters and one specifically for Galadriel. And for Galadriel, there's a lot of really fun things. Um, she is described particularly in like some really in histories of Middle Earth, unfinished tales and everything as having this sort of like Amazonian disposition and everything like that. Right. Like she she braids her hair at the crown of her head as she engages in athletic feats. And this is kind of why all of her names uh, tend to like all of her her names later in life at least like Galadriel and, and all of that tend to be relating to her hair and all of that but the elves have this thing of um, you get sort of multiple names throughout your life there's your mother name which is the name that you're kind of given at birth and there's a father name which is supposed to be sort of like foresighted and all of that and then other people may um, may help you choose a name later in life as well. So Galadriel's mother name is Nerwin, which means man-maiden. Hmm. Wow. And she yeah. definitely does a lot of things that are gender non-conforming, that are queering of gender roles um, throughout all of her different iterations in uh, in Tolkien's writing. And then as she, uh, as she gets to Middle-earth and Celeborn is just the picture and everything too, He's actually the one that ends up giving her the name that translates to Galadriel. And mm -hmm. this is a pretty neat narrative consi considering that, you know, uh, trans folks a lot of times will change their names later right, in life yeah. to like what their their name that speaks to their actual identity is as opposed to the name that they were assigned at birth. And so there's a lot of cool trans readings of Galadriel specifically both in terms of embodied gender roles and also naming conventions. Mm -hmm. That's so I uh did not I did not know that her original name, you know, her her birth name was 
Also, Galadriel is just so much better than Nerwin. <laughs> uh, but that's so fast. Man means man maiden. Yep. And then the fact that Galadriel means lady of light. It's not just like, oh, it means light. and mean, like it literally is transitioning from man, meaning man to meaning lady. That's so. Yeah. Um, and then querying the so definitions of both of those gendered terms, which are already in the context of Tolkien, like the conceit of Tolkien's writing is that like he like this is a translation of like an Anglo-Saxon translation of like what the hobbits or the elves were writing in right so we have like multiple layers of translation and the words that refer to elven genders are not you know there there are actual words in you know Quenya and Sindarin and all that that refer to gender for elves that are not necessarily directly mapped onto you know our perception of gender today in in modern culture. And and my God, if we're going to mention Galadriel and trans readings, we got to take a second to talk about Eowyn and how she's genderqueer. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, that's another one that else of like Eowyn being a queer icon as well. Um, I think there's also like a, a a joke in there that maybe I can't make about being a horse girl as well. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Like uh, Eowyn and Galadriel, um, when you take Galadriel's entire story throughout um, the Silmarillion and Unfinished Tales on through The Lord of the Rings, they're very similar stories. Like they both kind of, you're introduced to them being discontent. They go through a period of really heavily non-gender conforming and end up more closely gender conforming. Whereas to speak of it in Anglo-Saxon terms, Galadriel ends up being a cupbearer. Like someone who is there in court to give gifts to guests, which is, you know, a queen's job in Anglo-Saxon times. And Eowyn ends up being a peace weaver, essentially. She is married off to a neighboring ruler to ensure peace. Um, And a lot of people read Eowyn as um, kind of a betrayal of feminism uh, because of she goes from being a warrior woman to marrying Faramir and settling down and wanting yeah. to focus on healing, which I think is a valid reading. Uh, but I don't think it's my reading because when you look at the masculinity in Tolkien, so much of it is centered around healing because Aragorn, yeah. he is identified as the king by the fact that he can the heal. Healer. Yeah. yeah. I also just want to say, Faramir has such strong uh I love my bisexual wife energy yeah. and this uh, is that just is another valid. reason why he is actually the best character in all of Lord of the Rings. He's my favorite Lord of the Rings character Hand. hands down. Yeah. Um and yeah. that's not just because I'm Book a bisexual Faramir. married to a man. Uh yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Book Faramir 100%. Yeah. But yeah, I, um, I've been kind of writing a paper in my head about how queer Eowyn and Faramir's relationship actually is, and I'm I'm gonna actually write it and present it at some point at some conference because it's there and it needs to be talked about. That's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. I love that. Yes. Finally, I think uh, one point I want to bring up as well is that the Valar, who are the gods of this world. Yes are neither a man nor a woman and they uh they take on the appearance that they like feel within themselves and they perform that identity 
outwards, but they are not actually, uh, they, they are neither man or, they are non-binary and, and decide to present one way or the other. And they can change their physical form like clothes mm-hmm. and put on a physical form that aligns to their conception of their gender. And that's very cool. It's certainly the more that we understand like the nuances of gender and, and the more conceptualizations we have of gender going forward, the more space there is for the really progressive readings of that, possibly more progressive than Tolkien even knew he was writing. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what uh, it always comes down to with stuff like this, where we're like, oh, cool. Tolkien said trans rights. And it's like, probably not. But it's cool that he wrote this thing and that now we are using this as like a foundation, a jumping off point to like have these imaginings, to have these discussions, um, to look at the world and the characters more critically. Yeah. Um, And he kind of like coming full circle with this conversation. He is not alive to dispute any of that. So... Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll carry on. Imagine, you know, talking about these things um, as we continue to find meaning in them. Yeah, I do want to point out that Yavanna often appeared in the form of a great tree. And if there is anything as non-binary <laughs> as my as- gender is tree. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you both for joining me. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your perspectives. Um, and then also sharing the more important work of informing me of these ships that I did not know about. Um, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find us on uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, or on Zencaster, or we now have a website, which is uh, queerlodgings.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter at queer underscore lodgings. And um, yeah, if you want to really, I don't know, email us and talk about how much you like silver gifting, uh, you can email us at uh, queerlodgingspodcast at gmail.com. We also have, in addition to the podcast coming out, uh, the next episode and all of that, uh, there are a few other places that you can find us and those uh, those overlaps of interest. Uh, we are uh, pretty much all going to be presenting. Yeah, we are all going to be presenting at the Mythopoeic Society's online midsummer seminar, uh, which is a fully online uh, conference that is open to everyone from academics to fans uh, and. The theme of this year's conference is Fantasy Goes to Hell. Uh, So you will be able to, uh, if you register, you'll be able to hear us talking about everything from queer coding of devils and literature and media to uh, rings of power reactions and unpacking um, the the fandom spaces and how uh, hell can be other people and Mm. uh, (laughs) as well as some very interesting papers that we know are coming from some of our friends of our podcast who uh, are going to be talking about like uh, readings of Sauron and uh, just some really interesting things that are are going to be going on through that theme of uh, fantasy goes to hell. And then uh, we're also going to be doing a takeover of the uh, Tolkien Truesday hashtag. So in the Hobbit calendar, the day is 
Truesday, T-R-E-W-S-D-A-Y. And so the Tolkien Tuesday and Tolkien Truesday hashtags are uh, every Tuesday there's a theme and fans and academics and anybody in the community is welcome to share their thoughts on that theme and their their joy for Tolkien's works through that hashtag. Uh, And the day before um, International Day of LGBT Pride, the June 27th is when uh, Queer Lodgings is going to be doing a takeover of the hashtag and we'll uh, have that theme be Queer Readings. So All of that is awesome. Super exciting. I will leave links to all that in the episode description if you would like to go check it out. Um, this is something that I, I waited too long to figure out what it was and I missed the memo and now I'm like, okay, I just have to ask. What is Tolkien Trues Day? Yeah. Because I've seen the hashtag all over Twitter and I'm just like, okay, it's just another thing for Tolkien Tuesday. But yeah. where, what, where did it stem from? Um, so it, sem- it stems from uh, uh, Tim Bolton actually started organizing it uh, in addition to the Tolkien Tuesday hashtag, which had been sort of just like Tuesday is a day to tweet about uh Tolkien and that's yes. neat. That is the day that I release uh this podcast is I, I specifically picked Tuesdays as my release day yeah. for that reason. <laughs> and um so the the update to this with Tolkien Tuesday is that uh in the similar vein to Folklore Thor- Thursdays as a hashtag, it's just that there's a sort of a prompt most weeks that everyone can follow and think of, yeah. I'm always excited to talk about Tolkien, but this thing specifically, I want to talk about mountains mm. this week. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk about mountains or we're going to talk about food. We're going to talk about water imagery in Tolkien. We're going to talk about uh, trees. Like, and it's just this sort of, um, sort of way that we can come together and have a sort of a conversation together or be talking about similar things and examine that idea from a bunch of different facets and angles. So uh, Got it. Cool. you can usually get the what the um, theme is going to be uh, throughout the week beforehand. So you can be thinking about it and percolating. And uh, even if you didn't like just check Twitter on Tuesdays and go ahead and jump on in. Uh, it's a really great, fun, positive uh, Tolkien fan space to be in. And, and uh, that mm. that inspiration, that little bit of, of sort of, you know, priming the pump with a theme really helps me be able to organize my thoughts because otherwise I would you know, I'd be all over the place going, I love this. And, you know, I get <laughs> yeah. now I get to be like, I love this thing specifically because. Specifically, yeah, that's what I'm talking about's cover is by Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishan Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash pod. You can follow the podcast and social media at TolkienAboutPod. And you can follow me on Twitter and TikTok at MCWhatsApp and on Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. If you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the levels of support that are available. As we are coming up on the final weeks of this podcast, every single person who has ever been a patron in the entire history of this podcast is so wonderful and kind. But especially our wonderful and kind person this week is John. John, thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. It is so incredible that you would go out of your way to support something. Thank you so much. And one final thing that I wanted to touch on before we wrap things up that is 
quite serious and we should take seriously. As I mentioned in this episode, the Human Rights Campaign declared a national state of emergency for LGBTQ plus Americans. I will be leaving resources that the Human Rights Campaign has put together for anyone who is facing dangers and difficulties and possibly needs help. Those resources will be there. Uh, And I will also be leaving a donate link for the Human Rights Campaign. I will be making a donation to help support and protect and stand up for the LGBTQ plus community. And I encourage you to do so as well. Thank you both for joining us. Uh, Happy Pride Month, everyone. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just happy Pride. This is a lot of fun. Happy Pride, everyone. Yay, happy pride! And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm.